Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of The Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Paula Price Show. I'm not the only friend. I'm still. Man, every week I'm still me. <laughs> Last week you weren't here. Last week I wasn't here, but I was still me, not here. No. Yeah. Oh, we're going to yellow today in the Spirit of the Lord's Day. Wonderful. So we're here uh, continuing with the Paula Price Show, the Jesus and Paula Show. I tell you what, when you let the Lord be the Lord, and you are capable of letting him do that. You never know what you're going to get. And as we can see, the last thing it is is spooky. The last thing it is is weird. Um, what I love about this ministry is the power of God is undeniable. And you never walk around saying what just, well, we do walk around saying what just happened. But not like weird what just happened. But I cannot believe this type of potency is truly the power of God. And so many times we um, give disruption credibility for God moving. He just upset everything. God moved, and we know because everything was just upset, and that we didn't do anything we planned. And, and that's really the main sign that we use in our contemporary measurement of when God really shows up by how much is upset and disrupted. But, and now he, he can't disrupt, okay? But as we have seen, I mean, really when his hand moves very strongly, there is a definitive order, there are outcomes, it's measurable. I mean, you know, sometimes you're on the floor, a lot of times we're in the chair hearing the word. We have had so many people from Tulsa, and many of them have said, but I'm used to, you know, the band working people up and and this going on and that going on, and everybody is just stirred up by external things and not actually sitting and listening to the word and that lighting you on fire by itself. I loved our first. I remember the first time I heard her say to the band, we were somewhere, she said, okay, sit down. I don't need help. I got this. I was like, oh, okay. She got it. I'm thinking, I know she does. So, but these are with so many different environments. That's very different. And our church is lively. It's, it's great. It's amazing. We, it's all God. And the last thing it is, is boring. You're not going to be bored. You're not going to wonder why you came and what you learned and what just happened with my day and why did I. Not at all. And so Dr. Price has been on since really Joliet in August. She started this whole pedigree thing. Your prophetic pedigree. And we were like, you know how when you're watching and listening and you could just feel everybody lean? 
learned in this series. And so with our sermon notes, which if you are a member of the Congregation of the Mighty, well, if you're not a member of the Congregation of the Mighty, but you want to keep in touch with the Congregation of the Mighty, you can download our app and stay in touch. If you go to uh, My Church, right, that's the overall My Church app is the host app. And then in the search, if you put in the Congregation of the Mighty and uh, Bixby, our Bixby location will show up, download that app. And then you will have the sermon notes, and you'll be able to find out if you want to come home, if you want to move to Tulsa, if you want to become an online member where you are. Because not everybody's ordained to move here, but if you want to be an online member, you can do all of that from the app. So we have sermon notes that Chief Prophet Tall Christ, I tell you what, the prophet, you know, the scribe, the scribblet. <laughs> they keep the notes going and keep, keep the word of the Lord in the hands of the people. That's what prophets do. That's what they're supposed to do. In our technology, sometimes we kind of miss that even functions like that are part of the prophet, keeping us in touch. So with our sermon notes from this one on God's genealogy, the born from heaven Christian pedigree. The born from heaven Christian pedigree. Hmm. God's genealogy. That's all the skip over stuff in the Bible. You notice the things that really tell us where we come from and what we're supposed to skip over? Skip over. Oh, Chronicles, Chronicles, boring, boring. Skip over. He begat, 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 begat. Skip over. Where are the miracles? Where are the signs? Where are the wonders? Where is the money? Where is the fish's mouth? I want to go pull out my tax money. You know, come on. I mean, that's all we care about, which explains why we're lost. It's like only caring about somebody's money and not caring about the person itself. So you just married me for my money. Well, yes. Okay. That's terrible. But you know what? People do it all the time. And that's what we've done to Jesus Christ. We've just, we're in it for the purpose. We're in it for the prosperity. And we really have been talked out of being in it for the man himself. And so this whole series is bringing us back to Jesus Christ, back to our eternal heritage and roots. And the great thing about something being eternal is it's timeless. I mean, we're told that the whole word of God is dated. Now, everything in that book we're still doing today. The trashiness in the world, yep, that's in there. Young Christ did this. She, she mentioned this in the sermon recently. Ran down all the things that we're dealing with right now that are in the Word. Nothing has changed. There is nothing new under the sun. So with this, uh, in the beginning of this message, and uh, if you have not done so, I want you after the broadcast to scroll down to yesterday's post. Now, uh, in the beginning of this sermon, Dr. Price is about an eight-minute Profe- oh, wait, what did she call it? Prophetic, uh, it was prophetic wisdom, prophetic counsel, prophetic counsel, I think it was. And she even said in there to note the difference between we are receiving prophetic counsel versus a prophecy. But she went on to address, sometimes we're frustrated because we are trying to impose a now on a future word. The word that we receive now, we want it to happen in the season. We want it to happen this way. And for sure, we never want it to cost us anything. But she went on to say how there are, uh, you may receive the word now, but the manifestation of it is in the future. I'm thinking about my own life. I meet Dr. Price in 1999, lays out my life prophetically. Some things, many things, she actually gave exact ages that I would be. 25 years old, this is going to happen. Now, at that time, she did not know I was going to be in her ministry or her appendage. <laughs> so I was. Her daughter's friend from college. 
This is how you know, even when you are speaking to somebody, you don't know who they're going to be even in your life. Nothing about me said I would ever be this person, ever. And so uh, and she goes on to talk about my life then, and she gave a word about this, and then when you turn 40 and 47, and so on. And at each point, it's hit, it's hit, it's hit. And she said, I'm going to stop right here because you can't handle the rest of this word. I'm thinking I can hardly handle what you say right now. And I don't even know what it means. First time I was ever prophesied to in my entire life. Second time. Because the first time was your church when you were out of town. And it was a false Melissa. <laughs> and so the second time I was prophesied to in my life. So she talks in the beginning, and it's the beginning of this message, but I edited that out and put it as its own separate track for everybody to listen to. This is wisdom that cannot, uh, that cannot be Myth, it should not be avoided. It should not be neglected. If you have a prophecy, and at this point, probably all of us have at least one, and you're frustrated about this season, and when is it going to happen, and why, God, why, and I do this, and I do that, that wisdom is for you. Go listen to it. It's like eight minutes long, eight and a half minutes. It's juicy. So you will receive it if you download this sermon and buy it, and then if you just want to hear that separately, you can I also want to tell you that last week, Dr. Price was moving like fire and roaring like thunder in the area of webinars, and so they are available to you. I actually cannot remember if there is a direct link from Dr. Price's homepage to her personal training site, Omni Executive Training Services, Omni Exec Training, um, but if there isn't one, there will be where you can just click on that from her home site and go right to what I like to call the private vault. And the private vaults are things that Dr. Price has done, not tied to, not directly tied to Price University. Most of them predate Price U, uh, many of them, but some of them is her own vault in which she is pouring out wisdom. I want you to visit that site because you should shop around. We have the Soul Sundays on there, some of them about the Soul Heart Clinics, she has wealth once on apostleship, on, on prayer and intercession. So you want to shop around and go the extra measure. Right now we have, uh, fall, I don't know what I would say fallen into, but we have certainly walked our way into a campaign in our church to do something with the word. Not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Going back, you hear with uh, Prophet Adia in Sunday school, are you going back to the notes? Are you going back to the messages? Last night, Prophet Dolan straight some things out. And Wednesday, warriors, emphasis on warriors and doing something with this. And every week, Dr. Price is keeping us accountable to taking this word, internalizing it so we can externalize it. That's what we want to do. So we can all be change agents in our own realm. Wherever we are, we can be those change agents. Starting with changing our how, how about that? Yeah, we can start. Start at home. Well, Real we always want to point to Dr. Price used to always say Sunday sermon. Oh, this is for the people who didn't come to church. <laughs> right, this is for the people, because it's always for the people who didn't come. And finally, he said, no, this is for everybody here. <laughs> this is for all of us, because we always want to point to the people that we know need to hear this word. And we think we've been changed by it because we agree with what's been said. Yeah. And that's not always the case. And, and really, I think after today's teaching, we're going to have a little more, uh, little more information to run on. I'm doing this. I'm developing a whole program called Prescriptive for the Sick Soul. Prescriptive. Looking at Prophet Bob. <laughs> yeah. 
So there are going to be little prescriptions that we're going to walk through as we deal with it. Now, we're not doing it on every show. We're obviously going to do it in our classes. And speaking of that, this Sunday is? This Sunday is Soul Sunday. Let's Talk Soul Sunday. Yes. And you're going to get a little bit, a little taste of it today. Yes. And so if you're in the Tulsa area, if you're not in the Tulsa area, you can still be here by Sunday. Uh, we have Sunday school at 8, service at 10, and then Dr. Price, the second Sunday of the month, has Let's Talk Soul Sunday. It's from 3 to 4.30, and it's sandwiched right in between services. So even if you go to another church, you can just swing on by in the clinic. And it is the clinic. Isn't that my uh, devotions of the saints? Um, and it is a clinic. And the reason that it's a clinic is because we deal with the soul. You know, um, part of the, what we've learned over the years is that the church has spent so much time on your spirit, it ignores your soul. Yes. Which is why the church is so soul-sick and spiritually rich. Mm-hmm. So we're spirit-rich mm-hmm. in the sense of the gifts of the spirit, manifestations of the spirit, fruit of the spirit. You know, we have a lot of the spirit. Um, but we are soul deprived, you know, soul deficient. Our soul is deficient, and that's the part that has to get us into eternity. That's part that got to get us into God's work. Mm-hmm. You know, and I like, and, and God gave me this, um, I don't know, in the 90s. You were talking about knowing when your prophecy is in its season. We have a course. We not have that um, self-study course on prophecy timeline? Yes. Okay, I encourage every one of you after this broadcast to go and get that course, enroll in it, Prophecy Timeline. And I think there's a section in there that says, Lord, where's my prophecy? You know, because that's what we're asking God today. So you definitely want to do that. But the soul part is what we don't like. Now, interestingly enough, because the world has treated the soul in every which kind of way. We have a whole institution called psychology that is to deal with the soul. Now, they understood that their soul was sick, and somehow or another, we thought our soul was well. It's just because we really believe the new creation included that. So you're going to love it. Before I get, involved, get into the show uh, and the teaching, um, I want you to go and share this. Go and share it now. Call people, folks you want, whose souls you wish God would touch. You know, there's some people that you really wish. Yeah. You know, Lord, please. But I want to, um, I, I got this way back, and thank you, Apostle. I just told you, I knew I should have given you those credentials. Oh, yeah, I appreciate you it. You know, and you need them, because you are working with credentials. Um, I want to say... Oh, I have this book, um, Devotions of a Saint, that I did in the 90s. We just reproduced it 20 years later. Um, you know, but then, again, your prophecy has a date and a time. Yes, and if it's of God, it has no, um, its expiration date is only given by you because God does not need an expiration date of the word that he told you to do. You need one if you decide you don't want to do it. So, but we do need to know our season. So I wrote this at those times that I was interacting with God and we were having just really wonderful moments and he was teaching me, he was introducing himself to me and teaching me. And as he was teaching me, I um, 
I learned so much about him, but I one of the things I realized is that we don't understand God needs to be up close and personal with clean souls. You know, clean souls, because if it's only with a clean soul, can you have clean hands, clean heart. And so he needs that to happen. So in one of those our times, probably after some long fast I had, I, uh, I got this, and I wanted to read it because I think that it works for introducing my subject, Devotions of a Saint, a short book of psalms and poetry. Um, and so, you know, when you get close to God and you really get up in his love, that's, what, that's why you find out he loves music. You get really poetic, you get very psalm-like, and you get very musical, rhythmic, and lyrical. So this is what he gave me then. Um, the scripture comes from Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, we are healed. That's the whole purpose. Jesus took those stripes for our healing, for our sake. And the pre- this, this is called page 44 for those of you who did purchase this book. And the title is Cleanse, Cleanse O Healing Flow. Heal the body, O head of the flock. Cleanse your church with the flow that never stops. Open up blind eyes, unstop deaf ears. Wipe away, dear Lord, every hurt and tear. Bind up the brokenhearted. Heal the souls life has bruised. Tenderly console and renew the battered and abused. Flow, oh flow, that priceless stream. Pour out from your living river. Tarnish souls to clean. Oh cleansing flow, wash us. Cleanse us. Heal us and seal us. We are the vessel God Almighty has sealed. Make us sparkling beams of light in this world, your spirit indwelling us, leading us through the darkness, preserving our souls from hell. Equip us by your word to carry out your plan to bring the saving grace of Jesus Christ to every human. Then move us to your holy mountain filled with your hallowed light. Sanctify us wholly by your word of truth that we as your army may win this worldly fight. Scrub away every blemish. Smooth out what flesh has marred. Breathe on us, faithful creator, the love that removes our soul scars. Fit us to partake of heaven's hallowed nest. And when our work on earth is through, swiftly bring us, dear Lord, home to your eternal rest. (coughs) You all right? Probably Marge, okay? <laughs> Went there, didn't and so I wrote that when God started uh, dealing with me and letting me know, I love you. I chose you. I, cha- I filled you. I changed your spirit because I want you. But you need to understand your soul must be cleansed. To even appreciate, let alone um, apprehend everything that God is and, and has done. I heard a person say today, I don't even know what I was listening to, but they make a statement that's, that's true across the board, and that is when you really want, love somebody, you want more for them than you want for you. <clears throat> you want them to get more out of your love relationship than you do. 
And I tell God constantly, you know, Jesus, I, I have a hope for you too. I have visions for you, Lord Jesus. I have desires that I want for you. I have my own determination for you. I want him to have what it is. And if that's me, then that's what it's going to be. But I want him to have the best. I tell him often when I'm praying, I say, you know, Lord, I want you to always have the best because kings ought to have the best. Sovereigns ought to have the best. How much more the maker of kings and sovereigns. And so I say to him, I want you to have the best. That means I'm going to give you the best of me. And I'm not. I'm going to give you my best, but I'm going to present to you for your use, for your pleasure, for your purpose, the very best me I can have. And that best will grow better every day. So today might be the, the best I can do today may be to, to stand with a particular opposition. That's my best for today. Tomorrow, my best could be something else, finishing a project he needs done. Next week, my best could be resisting the darkness that's stalking my best. Not letting Satan's take that campaign overtake me. See, best is always measured in steps. Every step of the way, you know, the guy who made the steel for the car gave us his best. He just didn't give us a car. But it was perfect steel for building a perfect car. The person who made the plastic manufacturers give us their best. They don't give us the rest, but they give us all their best. And so they, and each person who has a part in making that happen gives you their best. The doctor who gives you the perfect um, eyewear gives you the best, but won't give you a heart because that's not what he does. So you can't limit your appreciation of the best that you are building for God, just like the person who's building the car, the car manufacturer, the plane, the, whatever the vehicle is, they choose the best ones to make the equipment. And who have the and then they choose the best one to read and follow the instructions. And then they choose the best one to assemble. And then they choose the best one to test and inspect. And then they choose the best one to approve. At every step of the way, the best happens. But the final approval is the one who gets to say, I approve the best perfect state, perfect promise. Because the approver gets to take the whole thing into consideration. And that's how it is with us as Christians, as believers. We have the best seed possible in all creation that begets us again to Christ. It's the best seed, but it's not the mature best. It is the embryonic best. And you can ask any gynecologist, a healthy embryo is still a good thing. It's the best. And there are criteria to tell you that a healthy embryo can, belong, can grow into a healthy fetus and develop into a healthy child. 
all those pieces, see, because we we fought with this and we tussled with this theologically over the years. How can Christians say they're perfect? My parts are perfect. My process is is work. But my end design is perfect. For he who designed my end designed it with perfection in mind. So let's say we've got this car manufacturing piece and it's shipped out. And when it arrives at its destination, the user opens it up and says it's marked. That means that the best was not done from that beginning. Either the, the uh, material wasn't great, the, the, the uh, manufacturer wasn't great, the producer wasn't great, the molder, whatever, the inspector, but along the line, someone failed. And as a result, the great car that's supposed to be made will not be made with that part because that part was defective. I did not get a defective of Christ. I got the best defective I didn't have. And then I followed his prescription so that I would go from being a healthy, promising embryo to a fully developed fetus. I desired the sincere milk of the word and I drank it and I feasted on it every single day. So now part and process are the best. But hey, I've got to be born. And once I'm born, I'm now an infant. And I'm still feasting on this work, the milk. But eventually, I'm going to need table food if I'm going to continue growing this best into its best. And then I have parents and, and, and family and all of these nurturers and developers and formers of my life. And each one of them gave their best or contributed to making me the best that can be, un, you know, released or unleashed, depending on how the product goes, on society. So when you think about your Christianity and you think about how you either feasted on good or feasted on something poor, for example, you know, I've met parents of infants who feed their children all of this disgusting food at six months. So they're corrupting the best potential or they're corrupting the potential best this child could be, and in fact, causing the, the, uh, the defections and infections and all kinds of, of, of impurities and destroyers to become part of that kid's makeup. But that doesn't mean that when the kid was an embryo, it wasn't the best. Hmm. So the question becomes how you treat the best, how you treat your best, and how you treat yourself as getting, becoming the better best every day. So I, I, and I say this because it starts with something very important. I did not get saved to fail Christ. I did not get saved to betray him. I did not get saved to turn on him. I did not get saved to exploit him. I did not get saved to abandon Jesus Christ. I did not get saved to compare him to his failures or to what failed him and make myself comfortable or compatible with those who reject him. See, I did not do that. I may love people, but I'm going to tell you right now, I don't flow hanging with sinners. And they don't flow hanging with me. You know, we all get so upset because they, you know, well, they just don't want to be. Trust me, I, they don't want to be around me. I promise you they don't want to hear the so many 
hallelujahs when they try to do their thing. They're not going to want to hear all the hallelujahs. They're not going to want to hear all of those praise to God. They're not going to want to hear all of those thanks to Jesus. They're not going to want to hear you talk about Scripture. They're not going to hear you talk about God involved and his involvement in every faith. They're not going to want to hear it either. So we have an agreement. Let's do coffee and leave. Let's do lunch and be done. Let's support each other where we can. But understand, our gods don't like each other. Oh, yeah. You know that was good. Yeah, yeah. See, you don't like my God and he don't like you. The only problem is my God defeated your God and your God is trying to act like it never happened. <laughs> so I'm clear about that. See, the reason Satan could take us out of Christians is he took the, per, the personal deities, the personification of the spirit off the table and he left behind this impersonal thing called faith. And nobody challenges. Faith in who? Our faith. Our faith in this. My faith, my values, my beliefs. Are you kidding me? That's kind of like that generic thing that we that we have, those generic qualities that we claim and that we refuse to personify because we don't want A, obligation to them, and we don't want B, people to know that it's a deity and not an experience. I don't serve experiences. I don't worship experiences. None of them. I enjoy experiences. But I enjoy them within their context in that moment or in that situation. I don't worship experiences. My God is not an experience. My God is a being. He's a person. The person of Jesus Christ, the Godhead. So I don't, when they start asking me, that's why we can't be a religion. You can only be a religion when you're dealing with an experience. But when you're dealing with a person, a deity, then you are either a progeny, an offspring, or you are, in fact, a worshiper. See, I don't, I don't walk around talking about my experience, but I'll be honest with you, when you went to true Jesus Christ, experiences are some days he lets you have really, really good experiences, and other days when he's trying to make you compatible with him, it is uncomfortable. And you must be made compatible with the Godhead. You have to if you're going to get along with them, because how can two walk together and let them be agreed? So if you disagree with God's stance on purity, on holiness, on sanctification, on righteousness, and on truth, if you disagree with that, guess what? You're incompatible with the Almighty. You got faith for nothing. You don't like the God. You don't like his way. See, and so and the reason you love God is because when he put his seed in you, he shed his love abroad in your heart. So it's his love that you're loving him with because you didn't have it. If you had it, well, then you'd be saved and you had to get saved. So I want to talk to you about that because there are things that you do and that you prefer because of your incompatibility with the Godhead and God's righteousness and God's truth. And that is why you downgraded your stature and your status with him from worshiper to experiencer. And you demoted him from a being to a faith. You did that. 
and you let the devil come in your churches and teach y'all all that stuff. I'm going to tell you right now, that didn't move me. I did not fall in love with the religion. I fell in love with the redeemed. I gave myself to a redeemer, not a religion. Because far as, as far as I'm concerned, and I know, you know, about relationships, relationships are not on the experience only. Because, uh, let me tell you, experience can be deceptive. Your spouse can come home every day with flowers and candy. Your spouse can come home every day. You as a husband can come home to a hot meal, hot sex, and you know what? That's a great experience, isn't it? But what you don't know is that they're an adulterer. You don't know who they're bringing home with you in the form of that hot sex. They can, give, they can say yes to you, give you their card, you can spend all that money. All of those are experiences, but they're not substance. And the substance is where the integrity is. The substance is where the quality is. Because the substance is that they can't, they love you too much to deceive you. They love you too much to betray you. If they're okay with deceiving and betraying you, they're just giving you an experience while they are intensifying their experience elsewhere. Yeah, but we love each other. A lot of people say they love one another, and they, they treat them terribly. But the Bible says true love does no harm to its neighbor. How much more is that? So that you're not you're not in love, not at all. You just happen to be compatible. You happen to be attractive. Love and attraction not the same. That's why so many people marry who they're attracted to and never meet who they should love. That's just an example. Jesus Christ and Paula Christ. Welcome to the Jesus and Paula Show. I started doing this a couple of months ago, and God has been like, oh, I got a show? I can talk, I mean, in my name? Because y'all, we give out, we don't want to name a show after him. Because, you know, people might think we're religious. Well, you know what? Only the lost call me religious. The redeemed call me devoted. Oh, right now. So when somebody says I'm religious, I know you're not saved or you are unenlightened. Because you cannot be me and have had an experience with Jesus Christ and call this religious. Say it now. Mm-hmm. You see how you have to protect yourself? You have to protect yourself from even the, the, uh, the, the conditioning that the church is brought into. I am not a religious at all. Trust me, religions don't like me. I know because religions are by fallen devils, and they don't like me. But redemption? Hey, I'm with an innumerable host, and I'm fit. So when people tell me, you know, oh, I, I know you're religious. No, I'm not. And then they get offended because, you know, they, have, they think they've been trained to defeat that and, and to over, overrule that response. I'm like, I'm not religious because I don't worship an experience. I belong to a God. I'm committed to a God. I'm promised to a God. Covenant to a God. The man, Christ, is manufactured to the God of God. And you can't, you can't have this strength until you get this information. That's why you want those pedigree teachings. You want those soul teachings because they are how God rescripts you and rescripts your inner self for 
redemption to draw you out of religion and to draw religion out of you. Religion needs rituals. I don't have rituals. I have one-on-one literal interactions with God. I literally, I just, I have them. And so, as we go forward today, I needed to lay that out for you because some of you, you're sitting around, you go home and you say, well, I, I mean, and, and you say, well, you know, I met Jesus, or I have a good relationship with Jesus, and then people start arguing with you. If, you, if they argue with you, it's because their relationship with Jesus is weak. They're, they're deflecting, they're defensing. I'm not going to argue with you about this. Nobody argues with you about your husband. They don't argue with you about your sister. They don't argue with you about your brother, your cousin, your aunt, whatever. How much more are you not going to argue with me about my God? Because Jesus is family, not a figment. He's family. He's my family. He's my first family. I don't have a family above Christ. Then I have this earthly family because God made up his family day six and gave us to the world day eight. Y'all still loving me? So you have to understand Jesus is family. And you could talk all day long about, well, you know, I mean, believe I can see my brothers and sisters. If you, if you learn Jesus, he lets you see him too because he said when you please him, he will manifest himself to you. Yeah. He said, now the world won't see you. And he's like, I don't really care. But you who are mine, you will see me, and you will know that I live, and you will know that I am that I am. He said he will show himself to you, and if you're really good, he'll show you the Father. Because Jesus decides who meets the Almighty God. That's his decision. He said, I'm the door. He's the door, I'm the doorman, escort, the usher, the gatekeeper, pick something, guardian, guard, defender, protector. But Jesus decides how you enter God's realm. And it's time for us as Christians to come to be armed as well as equipped. We may be equipped with the gospel, but we're not armed with this defense. Which is not, which means when somebody argues and yells back at us and whatnot, we get, well, I just ain't going to say nothing. If, if I won't say anything if you don't say anything. But if we say it, come on, if we say it now, all right, if we say it, then I'm going to say it. And I'm sorry, I am so thankful the Lord brought me up the way he did. Because I have no doubts. I really don't have any doubts. I don't have any doubts about whether I made the right decision Wrong decision, whether I'm with Jesus, not with Jesus, I don't have those doubts. I'm telling you, I don't have them. And you know why? Because he showed himself to me. See, God shows himself to those who seek him, but also to go to those who will receive him and respect him. And that takes a clean soul. Because, see, you got all these preconceptions and notions, and you he's going to show up, you're going to hurt his feelings, you're going to say all the wrong things, you're going to start calling him names that are not him, and you're going to start asking him why he's not this and that, telling him he doesn't look like your type. See, he's not come. Flesh. Flesh. Does anybody hear flesh? So we're going to talk today about something you're going to love. Today's topic, forgiveness and forgetfulness. When God forgives, does he really forget? Because, you know, we're taught that. 
We're taught that when God forgives, he forgets. And, you know, I always had a problem with that. When I didn't even know God, I thought, man, but I can't forget anything. So how much was the Almighty who has the perfect memory? And if God literally forgives and forgets, I want to show you because I'm going to show you that's not biblical. But if God really forgives and forgets, then how, where, what, what is he writing in those books that we're going to open in Revelation at the end of time? Where's he getting that from? Is he going into the sea of forgetfulness and scraping up and gathering up what he threw there? So God really doesn't forget. When, and, and we use the word forget. I think that that's a poor choice of words, considering Almighty can't forget anything. Because everything you do, he can't just forget that incident and then ignore the you that thought it was a great idea and ignore you who are suffering from it and bring you out from suffering. How can he bring you out from suffering and consequences that he's forgotten why you went through? Mm. You see, so things sound great on, on the human plane, and they sound really good to people who don't want to come up to the Almighty. Almighty. A lot of people don't want to climb Mount Zion. Mm-hmm. They want to live at the base of the mountain. Yeah. And they're, they're fine, but don't lie on the Holy Ghost to feel good about it. God can't forget anything. And he said that Romans, he said he, he said he doesn't forget. If you read Romans, he say, I remember it all. And throughout, I mean, even Jesus, Jesus comes talking incidents that were before his time. And he comes as the Son of God and he hasn't forgotten. So does God really forget? Because that's why you keep doing it. Because you think you think you can determine and dictate how God works, how his memory works, and what he recalls and what he chooses not to. But understand, everything that happens on earth is a record, is, is recorded, because every part of the human makeup is a recorder. That is why when God steps back from you for five or ten years and you finally decide you've got all your mess out the system, etc., <laughs> and now you want to get, get right with God, he goes all the way back to when you got wrong. So if he forgot, how did he know that? So maybe forget isn't the word we want. Maybe the sea is not about forgetfulness. Because maybe God isn't forgetting. He's just choosing not to punish. Maybe he's not forgetting at all. Perhaps what he's doing is overlooking, indulging. Israel was cutting up on the on the way to Sinai, and Moses didn't know what to do. And he said, "Listen, I I I, I knew you were bad. I tried to tell you most times you should leave where they were, but they're bad. They're just not there. They're corrupt. They don't even get it." And so now this is the same Moses who killed the Egyptian, had to hide out for four years. But he said to to the Lord, he said, "Listen, Lord." Just don't, listen, they, they don't know what they're doing. I know what they're doing. You know what they're doing. And you know that it's worthy of, of, of uh, judgment and punishment. You know that what they're doing is criminal. But, Lord, listen, kill me and keep them. God is, you, now, so you can tell Moses did not understand leadership. Yes, not at all. Because God is like, are you kidding? I, I, I got one of you to bring out four million of them. <laughs> so if I did it once, I can do it again. And with you, I can do it. He said I can start all over with you. Mm-hmm. But Moses asked God not to do that because God starting all over was going to include a whole lot of stuff. Now, I mean, starting all over was going to wind us all the way back to Abraham. 
So God knew Moses would take that thing, but then he, it gave him an opportunity to give us another side of his character and his behavior or reactions. He said, no, he said, I'm going to overlook this. He said, but in the day that I visit for punishment, I'm going to visit this particular thing upon them. I don't know if you realize how deep that is. Now, this is big Christian stuff. This is not the baby Christian that's crying because they can't take truth. And, and I'm just not, 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 not,
insecurity, resentment, low self-esteem. It breeds a sense of failure in them. See, nobody talks to you about it like that. they just like, well, it's a moral sin. No, it's not moral. It is betrayal. Let's call it what it is. It's betrayal and it's perversion. So you are literally mixing your sexual self with someone who is outside of your marriage, who is likely as promiscuous as you are. And you're bringing that to the sanctity of your marital bed. And you tell God, well, I said I was sorry. I can't help it. I got needs. You don't have needs. It's not me. It's a grief. It's a grief. And it's an addiction. And, and one thing you don't realize is the scriptures define addiction as excessive love for a spirit or deity. So you slept with that person because of the deity that rode in them or the deity that was cloaking them. You did that. So you really, that's why God said it's the only sin you take in yourself. The only sin you take in your body is sexual sin. Why? Because it doesn't have direct access to the soul. We know it has direct access to the organs. That's why we get STIs and STDs. But sin weakens the soul. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, on this same subject, here's a piece of information you probably never paid attention to. But James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man or the one who endures temptation, because having been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to the one loving him. The 13th verse says, Let no one being tempted say, I am tempted from God. Because you know how when people, you know, how does that look to that? Mm. God is this woman you dated. God, that woman, look at that behind, look at the boots. God, you made it so it's not my fault. I'm tempted. Because you made it. And God said, I didn't make it for you. <laughs> okay, Satan gives every woman to any man. God never does. See, Satan, because that's what that's what he won in the garden. He won the right to give every woman to any man, and to give every man access and permission to violate every woman. That, that's that's what devil. Look, look at our life. You know, look at look at our culture today. So then, but each one is tempted by his own lust, being drawn out and being seduced by them. Then having conceived lust brings forth sin, and sin, being fully formed, brings forth death. Mm-hmm. So that little seed of sin that you thought was gone, when you had that little fling on that business trip, uh-uh. it continued to grow. Because Spiritual things cannot die. They just get rejected and quarantined by God. So Jesus said, lead us not into temptation. Why would he say that you are the Lord Almighty? And he's praying as the Lord, as the Son of God, not to be led in temptation. You understand, first of all, you need to understand that Jesus' spirit was 100% from the 
Almighty. His soul was a blend of the Almighty and mortality. He got his soul from his mama. So Jesus was as temptable as any man. And knowing women the way I know women, he had a hard time. I think he was well tempted. Well tempted. Because women then were whorish as they are today. I'm sure that he had had to back off a bunch of females. Especially when Satan kept sending his best and his best and his best to get him to spill his seed before the cross. See, one seed meant how many generations would be lost. He was sent to be a savior, so he couldn't lose the life that he carried. He couldn't lose the spiritual life of the people that were in him before the foundation of the world. Oh, do you all like that? So I want to talk to you today about, about pedigree versus pathology. Now, pathology essentially is dealing with disease, you know? And so there is that zoological pathology that literally foments, fuels the mental diseases and the mental disorders and behaviors that we today treat under psychology. So let's look at that. First of all, let's look at the scripture. Um, Isaiah 1, 5 and 6 says this. And it says, why do you want to be beaten again? You continue in rebellion. The whole of the head is sick, and the whole of the heart is faint. You know why? Because a faint heart will cause you to have phobias. And those phobias will con- contribute to your mental illnesses and disorders. From the sole of the foot up to the head, there is no health in it. Bruised and sore and bleeding wounds have not been cleansed, and they have not been bound up and not softened with oil. Now, Jesus said in Luke 10, excuse me, Luke 4, 18, he speaks to this. He said, I came to what? Bind up the brokenhearted, to heal those that are bruised. And What is he talking about? People looking great. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the reason he's going to hell. The reason his soul has to go to hell. Because he's had eons to look at every type of sickness and dysfunction and disorder that the soul can, can breathe. He knows and he's had to deal with them. He's he proved that he can deal with them on earth as well as the body. But he was able to deal with the body a lot more than he was able to deal with the soul. We had a couple of people who were schizophrenic. Jesus put them in the right mind to let them know I'm able. Jesus did all of those signs, not for us, not for them only, because they were going to die. But he had them recorded for those generations that would be born, us, would know him and would know a Savior and have a hope. And so let's look at the word pathology. I liked it, so God gave it to me. He said, I want them to choose pedigree of pathology because that's all they got. Mm-hmm. Pathology, the science of the causes and effects of disease. Huh. In relation to the soul, these arise from dysfunctions of the soul. I put that in there. The elements and features that, sim- that sim- symptomize 
the soul's ill health, deformity, or deprivation. Pathology comes from the Greek words pathos, meaning disease, and logos, meaning a treatise, a treatise of disease. If something is caused by a physical or mental disease, it is pathological. We, the church today, is pathological. It is disease. Chronic sin, teaching of sin, belief in sin, nurturing sin, permitting sin, proffering sin, promoting it from the pulpit, these are all indicators of soul pathology. Those pathogens in the soul are producing the misconduct, the perversions and profanity we see today. Pathological, oh, I said that. Oh, yeah, pathological comes from a Greek word, pathological, which means treating of diseases. Pathos means suffering. You describe a person or their behavior as pathological when they behave in an extreme and unacceptable way and have very powerful feelings that they cannot control. That's the church. The church is pathological. That's why we got tattoo pathology. Soul sickness. That's why we got piercing, soul sickness. That's why we have perversion, soul sickness. That's why we have nudity and profanity, soul system. That's why we have fornication and, and, and drugs and all sorts of, of remedies as cloaks for our sins. But they're really pathogens. The church is pathological today. <clears throat> that is why. There is a great future for those who would allow God to heal and cleanse them so that they can go and heal the body for the Lord of the flock. And, for example, he experiences chronic, almost pathological jealousy. He is a pathological liar. Pathology is tied to dysfunction, perversion, Disease, because, the, see, Jesus understood that diseases, apostles are supposed to be cured. And, in fact, uh, one definition says that ministers are supposed to be soul cured. So if we don't cure the soul, then we're going to, first of all, to be with our body, we're going to either promote, endorse, or indulge its manifest sicknesses. Mm-hmm. Yes. See, that's our job. So our, you know, so and the world is taking psychology from the church because the church wanted to stay in church. Mm-hmm. See, we wanted to stay in the building, and we want even now. You got church pastors who will not fix or heal anything because they want people to think that that nice looking church they have with some clean looking people right. who are well mannered and well behaved are all cured. And they're not. They're alcoholics. They're fornicators and adulterers. They're liars. They're thieves. And they hate it and they wish somebody would help them. Mm -hmm. So we're going to stop talking about just moral failure. This is pathological disease, soul disease. So the soul pathology are what God's raising up ministers to the cure. And so we talk about that. I do. I have a whole take a section on curative. That many of you don't know. Show you how much has been taken from the church. And I thank God that he, he he really gives me the grace 
to dig into this stuff because the word curator was first for a minister, one who cures souls. Not one who cleans old dusty pictures. Now, I happen to like museums, so don't go out there and say I don't. I really wish I could get some more. I like museums. I think it's wonderful to, to see the past, you know, preserved to give in, insight to the future. But let's be real. The word curate, curate began with the church, and it, it defined a minister who cured souls. So you haven't had any curatives because we haven't had any curators. Are you all enjoying this? So let's look at forgiveness that offends you. So God doesn't forget. We've already established that that doctrine came from somebody who fell and could not, and was so remorseful they could not accept the blood of Christ as a forgiveness. And they didn't want to make, them, make themselves accountable to Jesus' redemption. Anybody's wrong with that? Yeah. So they said, well, God forget, because they couldn't look in the face of God after their sin. Now, God didn't have a problem. He said, my son's blood covers it all. <laughs> and I, and if you let me, I will extract all of the influences and all of the, the spurs that would cause you to do that. I will move them out. So then, let's look at this. So, so let's talk about what the body is. I hope you all can see that, and if not, don't worry about it. You'll, you'll go back and check it out or something. I don't know. I got people who fix things like that. But I want you to see that the scripture mentions the body 175 times, yet it talks about the soul 459 times. I think it's important. What do you think? The spirit is mentioned 505 times, just slightly more than the soul. In the Old Testament, the word body is used 39 times. In the New Testament, the word body is used 136 times because we're born, we're the body of Christ. Soul is used and mentioned in the Old Testament 420 times, but soul in the New Testament is 39 times. Now, lastly, spirit in the Old Testament, 244 times, and spirit in the New Testament, 261. So what is that telling us? Well, a couple of things can be, you know, deduced from here. First of all, that the soul was very important in the Old Testament but it, because it was fused with the body. But in the New Testament, I just... I, the body and the spirit of you, that partition is gone. See, the, the spirit was dead. When you look in the Old Testament and it talks about body, it actually is talking about the soul. That's why you see the confusion in some of those in some translations and interpretations. So the soul, in God's mind, the soul is the body and the body is the soul. Why? Because the soul was given on earth in the body. So they're one and the same. But you're going to love the rest of this. Now, I talked to you about Psalm 99, 8, and I said to you that God forgives and avenges. So let's read this. All of you who can't see the screen, pull up the Bible. 
And let's read this. You gave them an answer, O oh Lord our God, that you took away their sin. Though you gave them, although you gave them punishment for wrongdoing. Now, in the King James version, it says you to you know Moses, Samuel were God's ministers, and I want you to get this. And yet they said, but you were to them the Lord who forgives. Though you took vengeance on their deeds. Here's what's so important. You have gone to preacher and preacher and prophet and all of that to ask why you can't get still. But God has to do something with what your sin brought into existence so it doesn't kill you out of season or so that it doesn't pass on. Some sicknesses God needs you to have because you couldn't stop sinning. Wow. And so he'll let you drag on and on 20, 30 years. Remember, it's eight in the day. So don't drag on 20, 30 years because of that one thing that you brought into existence that he, he quarantined in your life. But he is also punishing and, and literally uh, chasing it so that you can live in his. Paul said to Timothy, some people's sins are, show up on this side, and they get a chance to resolve them and process them before they enter into eternal life. Other people's sins tra- travel with them into eternal life, wow. which means they get the eternal judgment without opportunity to correct. Cool. Now, I realize that for some of you all that have the time gospel is what you love. You know, you want that. That's fine. I'm talking to those who are going to be with me and Jesus in the afterlife, but eternity. So let's look at Jude. Jude tells us something about the soul because sin comes, weakens your soul. Now, you have a, if you have a dead spirit, then it's literally teaching you how to live according to death. That's what Satan did with Eve and Adam. And so let's look at you and others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now, the garment is a, they define the word garment, garment, garment here as a tunic, an undergarment, usually worn next to the skin, a garment, a vestment. And spotted, he said, spotted is probably where we got a word still from because it's the, it's the Greek word stilos which means spotted, and it says a spot, a false moral blemish or in the base of gluttonous people or men. And then flesh, the soft substance of the living body, which covers the bones and is permeated with blood of both man and beast. Now, you, I, I, I've had people say, I don't need to know all of that. You probably don't, but you also don't need to know why you can't stop sinning. Oh. Because if you wanted to do right, you want to know everything about righteousness. But if you want to do wrong, you want to leave it to God, God did it. Jesus has already done it. You cannot leave this on him. He, he took upon himself flesh. We just got to talking about all of the temptations he must have had. More man, you can take a drink. Ain't nobody going to kill. I mean, you can, just, you can do this. You can sniff that. You can smell. He had all of that. He did. And he drank. Because how are you going to get Jesus drunk? So you can drink a bottle of wine and you can't go to work tomorrow. <laughs> Jesus is going to drink a bottle of wine and think it's fruit juice. 
because you can't, you, you couldn't get them drunk. Because intoxication is a consequence of the mortality of sin. Your body cannot push back on creation, especially it's dangerous and very infective element. That's why we get high, you know? Now, Jesus says that, that now he, and he drank with them, and they come back and tell us, we can't. He, now, I said, but, because people use that, but they don't read their pistols. Come on, make it plain. You know, the deacon is not to be given with women too much wine, and the bishop's not supposed to have any wine. I mean, if the bishop ever read the Bible, okay. they probably could get delivered from their alcoholism and intoxication. Because <laughs> it says the bishop cannot drink. Why? Because they pervert judgment. Alcohol literally mars your judgment. You can't make good decisions because your your will is down, your courage is down, all of that. Now, I, I, I have been around bishops and apostles. We go out to dinner, they have a little wine. They got that from the Catholics. You get that from Jesus. <laughs> because Paul said, no. And God, and, and, and Proverbs 31 says kings are not to drink because they pervert judgment. Right. So you're a king and a priest. What you doing? Ooh, why are you invited? Wrap it up. My, 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 and they like to pick at you, you know, because they, they really do. They like to pick at me. And, like, yeah, you pick at me out of your own cultural consciousness. I'm going to respond out of the covenant in the scripture, the new covenant that Jesus had with his blood. And so they tried to tell me, I said, but I'm sorry, that's not Bible. Now, I understand that it might be doctrine, but it's not Bible. Uh-huh. It may be quality theology, but it's not Bible. Because God has told all his leaders, I need you to have a clear head. Yeah. Well, I, and I let people say, well, I can, I can drink it, and it, it doesn't bother me. You don't know it doesn't bother you. That's why you're drunk. <laughs> It may be bothering everybody else, and I ask the people around you. They're going to give you a different answer because you know it makes you feel good. But they're going to tell you how it makes them feel bad. So I want to talk for a minute, just a little bit, because we're going to pick this up on Sunday at Let's Talk Soul Sunday at the Congregation of the Mighty, hallelujah, after morning service. But I want to give you just a little bit of a, a taste of it. Would you like a taste? All right, nobody said yes, so we're just oh, yeah. oh, 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 yeah. I'm just one. So, <laughs> so I want to talk about the pneumatic, the pneumatic theology of the human maker, and I'm calling this theological technical teaching. And before I get into it, I want you to understand the infrastructural framework of what I'm about to say. It's important that you understand the infrastructure and the framework from where this is coming. I really like you all to, to do that. Hopefully, Sunday you'll get the big screen. It'll be nice. I think I'm going to have to change my screen here and put it up higher, and I'm going to get a bigger one. All right, number one, triune humanity. Human, humans are triune in three parts. And so creation, sixth day, God created the spirit and the soul. Creation, seventh day, God and his creation rested. They had Sabbath communion. And then creation, eighth day, God embodies his human. 
This is an infrastructure. This is something you definitely want to make sure that you accept. This is the framework of all. Now, I know we have other stuff, but I'm telling you, this is how it works. This is how he said he did it. And he told Moses, who was on the mountain with the man for 80 days. Can you imagine 80 days sitting in Jesus' face? I can't. I can't. I'll be trying to sing and pray sometimes. You know? But 80 days. Can anybody hear what I said? 80 days. 80 days. No food, no people, no human contact. He is on this mountain with Jesus and all of those that travel to earth in that embassy on top of Sinai. We think that Sinai was just some sort of mystical, magical thing. No, God came in a ship. Now, there was a ship made of cherubim, but it was a ship. And he came full of his power. And truthfully, when you deal with God, the first thing you feel is, is electrified. He is pure energy. And so there are times I'm praying and whatnot. I'm having a great time with the Lord. I scratch my head. Ugh. I get jolted, literally. The man is so 100% power in energy. So Moses was in that for 80 days, 40 days twice. He came down a changed man. That's why people can say, I've been with God for a whole weekend, and they ain't not changed. I love the people who do a 40-day fast and come back skinny. Yeah. That's all you got. So you should tell the diet that you blamed on the Holy Ghost. <laughs> because I'm going to tell you something. When you've been with God, really with God, your old self dies. Your old man can't stand it. Devils don't want to hang out with you. It's a you and God thing, and God is purging you and purging you. His gaze is coming after everything in you that is displeasing to him. Everything that he didn't didn't like, he didn't do. He didn't choose. You know, when people ask him what is truth, is what God opted to keep and reject. Oh, okay. Because creation is the Now, so, so in uh, understanding the theoretical framework of the soul's design, and so basically your soul has the immaterial, or the, the, uh, what I like to call, what God gave me, I'm going to say he gave it to me because I can't, you know, uh, but the gelatinous side of the physical body. So there's clay, and then there's the, the, the gelatin, kind of jelly-like substance of the soul, and there is this pure energy from your spirit. That is our nature. And so the spirit gives life to the soul, for it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. That means that the spirit must enliven the soul for the soul to keep the body alive. Hence, Abraham, uh, uh, James says, the spirit without the, what? the body without the spirit is because the soul takes its life from the spirit. Paul took great pleasure in talking about the, 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 the wall of petition that was once separated the dead spirit from the doomed soul that's reversed by the new birth. So we have your heart, you got your brain, you have your nervous system, and then you have all of your other organs. You have literally, your soul has gelatinous portion or version of that. And I, one day I'm going to get me an artist because I can see this thing, but I'm going to get me an artist who's going to draw this for me. And, and, and when they do, I'm going to show you what God shared with me because, you know, I don't have that ability. I guess I just, a couple things you just 
doesn't even get me. I don't even get it. I don't know why. So, your soul consists of everything you. Your physical body is a visible expression of your soul being. Your soul is entirely you, which is why it goes to hell. Your body goes to the grave. It goes back to the dust. Anybody catching what I'm saying? Because there's a revelation. Y'all catching me? Y'all following me? So your soul goes to hell. Your body goes to the grave, which is why the Old Testament didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the body because it recognized that the body is a slave to the soul. So it gets better. So in normal, um, and, 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 uh, Ezekiel 18.4, this is powerful. I just love this stuff. 18.4, behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also is the soul of the Son mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. He repeats it in the 20th verse. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon him. Now, I want to go back. He said, he didn't say the spirit will sin. He didn't say the body will sin. He said, sin kills the soul. That's what he said. Is this in the Bible? I'll read scripture. Now, so there is something about how God created the soul and then how Satan distorted the soul that guarantees that it dies. The soul is dead to God. But there is a death of his existence that happens gradually through those things, those sins that are injected and implanted in it and allowed to grow. We don't do anything with it, whether there's things that happen to us, through us, for us, or against us. He's saying that sin destroys the soul. And when people, now think about it, I don't know, Dr. President, this is gay, but I don't know, alcoholism destroys your soul. Addiction destroys your soul. Poverty, lack, they may not be your fault, but they, if they're your experience, your soul is bludgeoned. Abuse, words can destroy your soul. Hanging out with the wrong people and allowing yourself to be converted to their way destroys your soul. Because you don't have citizens to see their soul is in trouble. Wow. So look at this. Understanding creative technology and divine judgment. So that, that, that tunnel you see, that's the infrastructure. And you have to recognize that your soul, I'm showing you just what, now we're going to go into these in depth on Sunday. I'm rushing. I'm, I'm, I'm just scraping the top. But you need to recognize that we keep ignoring the fact that your soul is the determiner as to whether you go into uh, eternal life or eternal damnation. We keep telling you that because we've not dug into this thing called salvation and redemption. We've not dug into this thing called sin. We've not really com- comprehended the message of the gospel. Peter said we must believe, uh, uh, excuse me, we we must have received the end of our faith, which is the saving of our soul. That's Bible. If the soul was saved, why are we there? Second Corinthians 7 says that your spirit can be spotted. Why? By the flesh, which means your soul. Because the Bible tends to use soul and flesh interchangeably. 
Just like the Old Testament used body and soul interchangeably, except for four times or so. One, um, reproduction and death. Everything else, they, they're conjoined. So what you do to your body affects your soul, which you know. That's what all of this, this healing is all about, that, you know, the spa treatments and all of that. For a moment, your soul feels better. It isn't made better, but it feels better. Because what heals the soul is not in soap and water. Jesus said to his people, he said, though you scrub yourself with lime soap, you still can't be clean before me. Wow. Don't you just love this man? So you have got to recognize that it is your job. So Peter says that the end of our faith is the salvation of our soul. Paul writes in Hebrews that, the, that, the, that our, souls, our souls have got to be changed, you know, and he says that. God has a soul. He said, if any man draws back, my soul. He didn't say my spirit. He said, my soul will have no pleasure in it. So God derives his pleasure also from your soul and not just your spirit. He enlivens your life, your spirit, by your spirit. But God's soul is what he wants to buy. And most people are joined to his spirit and estranged from his soul. Because you don't know what his soul likes. That's, that's the part of him you don't like. That part. The, 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 his personal power. That personality part. And then Paul says, receive with meekness the engrafted word of the Lord, which is able to save your soul. So your soul didn't get saved when you went to the altar. You're working out that salvation with fear and tripping. You're working your own soul salvation. Now, why is God saying this if the new birth was all it took? So all of you all who are dancing on the floor, man, are once saved, always saved, get ready because you're about to slip. Y'all can scream. We allowed to scream the now. We allow a shout every now and again. Come on, kids. Yeah, what the TKO? Now, this, we'll pick up the rest on Sunday. We'll review this. We'll review this um, on Sunday. So if you're in the area, don't miss Let's Talk Soul Sunday because we're going to talk about this, and we're going to give you prescriptions. Okay, because God never leaves you without hope unless you have told him he, you refuse his hope. See, some people are hopeless because they refuse God's consolation. Wow. Folk commit suicide because they refuse God's consolation. Christians tend to not, and if they do, it's because they turn to another God, and other gods do need you dead. Okay. But if, if God's got a purpose for you, he'll let you be all lamed up and lame on crutches, laying in the bed in an iron lung, but you're going to do what he wants. Iron <laughs> no, I don't even know if you still have those, but I'm just, you know. You're going to do what he wants. 
But if you belong to another God, they're not going to stop you from taking your life, which is, and they're going to talk you into how wonderful the afterlife is, as if they are enjoying it. So I don't know who you are or where you are in the kingdom of God, but I'm going to tell you right now, don't play with that devil, and don't play with the devil of death. Stop telling God that it's better that you don't live, because, baby, you don't know enough about death to know. Death is fearsome. It is terrifying. And because it's final, you can't fix it. So if you decide... I'm prophesying now to whomever God wants to speak to. You need to get off those pills. You need to stop feeling sorry for yourself. And you need to get up and find out the consolations of the Almighty if you belong to him. If you don't, get saved so you can get some consolation. Because I'm going to tell you something. You think, and I'll never forget God said that to me. He said, yeah, but you don't think death, death is a paradise. He said death isn't a paradise. It wasn't a paradise when Abraham was there in the bosom. And it's less of a paradise now that I've taken all my folks down. It's not a paradise. Other, other religions, that's why we're not a religion. You see, you understand we are a being. And as a being, as an offspring of Jesus Christ, we, he, I'm telling you, he put the Holy Ghost in us. The Holy Ghost will slap things around and have people walk up to you. He's going to do with all of those kind of things because we're it. The other deities are dead. Remember, Satan in that tree was dead already, which is why he passed death onto Adam. So whoever you are, you believe in that lie. I'm trying to tell you that death is not a paradise. You're not going on some sort of spiritual junket when you can have your way. Hallelujah. Okay, who's first? Blue? Blue. Blue? Blue? And she said, why all the time? Why did she? Come on, promise. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I saw something really powerful from earlier, which really then ties into everything you said today, uh, that the soul must be cleansed in order to, to appreciate everything God has done. Um, I see that that's something to be said about that, just the whole the whole thing, what you're teaching today. This is not the first teaching Dr. Price has done the soul. This really is a culmination, and there's so many things that are adding up, even from the previous teachings on the soul. Uh, but just it's important, because you said before that, that it's the soul uh, that we need cleansed in order to enter heaven, that we are spirit-rich but soul-deprived. And I think that explains a lot of things. Uh, even when you were talking about adultery, you know, God's issues with Israel so many times, their soul would not be healed. You know what I mean? So they could not stop betraying him with other gods. And if you, you look at the church today, even some of the prophets that we've discussed on this show, um, just our blatant disregard for God's needs, our blatant disregard for his interests, now just recognizing that's a soul thing, mm-hmm. it's a soul sickness. But I thought that the <laughs> blatant And just what we've become today as a church, uh, you know, doing church with it without him. Um, uh, you talked about the... But just, I think that that's just that powerful and just linking the, the pathogen conversation, mm-hmm. the pathology with the soul sickness of God's people. I just think that this is really important because you're pinpointing for us what our problems really are, mm-hmm. you know, as the people of God and what God is dealing with um, by bringing the mantles of the apostle and prophet to help us to confront our own stuff, our yeah. sickness. You know, you think about the things that you're mm-hmm. to, know to know that it's exactly. Because we think it's, it's a person. Yes. You know? And it's liberty. It's liberty. 
I'm glad you brought that out, though. Um, and talking about, I thought this piece was important even to this conversation. Again, you know, because uh, one of the things we're, we're studying constructing in our, our mentorship program right now, and one of the things you talk about is that, that role of the minister. And I thought that was important that you talked about that today, that they, we are to be curators. But that also made me think about the detriment when you have ministers who don't belong in seats of ministry, right? Because then they cannot be soul curators. They cannot cure the soul or adding to the sickness. So uh, that's a huge problem. That and what they do in this place is console and condone. Yes, that, that's because they can't cure, yes. so they control and condone. And you said that they'll promote an indulgent sickness, and isn't that what we're seeing right now? <laughs> but that, but see, that's another. She just gave you another way to identify a false minister. Uh, there was a, there was some dialogue going on Facebook the other day about that. To how, how do you even identify that? What are they doing with the soul <laughs> and, and its sicknesses? Are you in a church where the pastor, literally, or whatever leaders of the church is indulging the soul sickness of the church, and then you know right there they're not really called? Um, so there's those issues there, but not by God. And so anyway, those are some things. <laughs> those are just some things that just really struck me. The whole thing really did, but just bringing out those points. I think you. I think I think the point you brought out are really good. I mean, oh, you went light today with your blue. Huh? Well, yeah, I know that's because I was writing so fast about highlighting. <laughs> very, very good. But you know, you're right about the the um thing. Before you talk, can I just ask? Hey, Mark, talk to us a little bit about your training in pathology and and pathology. I know you didn't plan to, so I won't ask you to get on camera if you don't want to. In the camera. No, she didn't say <laughs> Real loud. I probably would say some of the things you talked about, which Prophet Nadia just touched on, uh, the aspect of indulging mm -hmm. and permitting and, and really causing people to think that they don't have an option, yeah. that we just kind of live with it and we find ways to deal with the symptoms. Mm -hmm. So that would be the issue. That's out there in secular psychology, but we brought that in the church. They can't seem like God can't really heal and deliver. We just kind of tolerate give people a sense of, you know, mm -hmm. God understands, mm -hmm. he knows you're only human, mm -hmm. and he knew you were going to do it anyway. Yeah. Because we're yeah. submissive, God, because we have a submissive world, we're guilty, but we're learning. That's not the case. And you hit that with the ones they've always said. Yeah. What, would you say then that it's fatalistic, that the, the treatments today are more fatalistic, like live with it, you know, kind of like eat, eat drink, and be married for the morally die? Yes, it's fatalistic, but it's also opening us up to other deities. Yep. Well, there's a... Yeah, I was no, thinking about, yes, I was thinking about the piece you talked about the soul and certain things that won't heal that soul. Mm -hmm. Or we're telling people yoga, mm -hmm. mindfulness, finding your higher mm -hmm. consciousness will heal the soul. And we have the mindset that that's taking place, but it's a delusion. Yeah. So, yeah, it is fatal. Well, you know, I like that you brought that up because all of those things are the instruments of death. You know, the Bible talks about God preparing instruments of death for the rebellion. So yoga is an instrument of death because, I mean, a fallen deity came up with it as a seduction. And, you know, and all of those meditations and all of that, can you imagine when you, God's sitting there telling you just meditate, don't think about it. First of all, God's so full of life, you can't ever be in his presence and your mind shut off. The man keeps you going. You know, he, he, he had to write in his book, be silent all faith before me because your flesh gets excited. Oh, Jesus, oh, Lord. So you know that is not God because you can, even if you're quiet, God talks. And he doesn't talk from somebody that's out there next to yoga, that you hear that because those devils are throwing their thoughts, this thought projection. 
You know, but we'll talk about that because you're not going to do yoga because, you know, that's your hot button. I got to give you that one. How is this? Well, you even said it today, and you had said in the sermon from the 25th about when Prophet you brought up ministers, people in the ministry position were not ministers. Mm-hmm. You said that a lot of people, their Bible study got big, so they started church. You know, youth ministry got big, so we roll it over and something else. And how they can't ever really say that God specifically called them, but they decided to go into mm-hmm. ministry. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, and so you don't even realize that that's something you need to listen for because we have attributed that to be very noble. Mm-hmm. They went into the ministry. They decided to go into the ministry and for God and for whatever, 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 but not actually realizing, but if he didn't call you, he's not backing you. Yeah. And, and you see it in the body, though. Yeah. Don't you see it in the church? Mm-hmm. Church is very worldly, very secular. Yeah. And because you have, you know, we bought into the big is right and the small is wrong, you know, if you are big and perverted, you're a culture. If you're small and righteous, you're a cult. Yeah. Say that one more So when you get big, so when you get big and profane, then you're a culture. And you're trending. And you're trending. And people like it because we measure according to the flesh. According to the outward man, and that's not what God teaches us. He says, no, no, but God looks on the heart and the soul, and not just the heart of the leader, but the heart of the the fruit that leader is bearing. Yeah, just like that. (laughs) Okay, the very, very, very beginning when you started talking, you said, talking about prophecy and how we put an expiration date on what we don't want to do. But that's not necessarily God. But how does someone know the difference? between when a window to do something has passed versus this is still, I mean, if it's passed, it's still unfulfilled, but versus if they still have the opportunity to fulfill that word. Well, it's kind of interesting because the first thing you'll know is that you'll attempt to do it in the beginning and nothing works. Mm. And you give your all, you give your money, you give everything, and nothing works. You can't get it to stick, you can't get it to bear fruit. So you pack it up and fold it away, as opposed to um, that it is not your, yours to do. Is that what your question is? No, um, as in there's still an opportunity mm. to make good on that prophecy versus the window that is passed. Well, God, I'll use myself as an answer. God told me this is not for now. I had dream after dream, but because I didn't understand the dream, I didn't process them the way I would today. And if somebody came to me and had those kinds of dreams, I would know. But he always showed me at a time in the future. Every time I started doing it, I dream about in the future. I would dream that that the kids are grown. I would dream that the world is different. So you'll see God gives you signs along the way to let you know whether or not what you're, what he, he's calling you to do is in the future. The closer you get to him, the more pronounced he gives you those signs to keep you from wasting your time with spinning your will. Now, he may not tell you that he may tell you to do it because he's having you perfect it before it's presented to the world. But he still keeps showing you that it has no place in the now. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, as I said, the one that, that, is, that, that, that is, you miss your window, it is because the world that you're in right now has no place for that because it's dated. It's requiring dated actions. It's requiring dated behaviors. It's requiring dated 
theology and all of that. All of that says that you've missed the window, and you know it's dated, but you feel like God owes you because you held on. Oh. So, and, and, so, and another thing that when you're, when you're late in, in fulfilling a prophecy or at least acting on it, God will give you nothing but the old guard. You know, you, I'm not trying to be funny. He'll give you just because when he when something is fun, when when you're in your time like me, I'm 67. But all my folks that have brought me this far, they like 25, 30 years younger than me. So their future hasn't happened yet. Huh. And so as I, as they were helping me build, they were changing their future. Well, isn't that why you are the apostle of tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> Because the future calls. 
because they are agents of the future. They're angels of the future. They're people of the future, and they talk to you. And when is your time? People keep prophesying, oh, no, I know you did this over here, but that's not where God wanted you to go over here. Or they'll start saying, yeah, I know you think you're going to get your heart for God, but God, I see you with a whole other group. I see you with a whole other family. When you get those words, you need to understand that's future. Ooh, another one. Wow. Yeah. She looks at me and back. She'll be back in a minute. Because one of the, I think, the most challenging things to do with as an advisor in prophecy, I'm sure I can speak into this too, is when I have prophetic advisements, particularly with women who have opted to not pursue anything but raising families, mm-hmm. families grown, kids have moved away, grandkids, all this kind of stuff, and they look up and they're, you know, 60, 70, whatever years old, and they want to know what can they do to fulfill the purpose and calling on their life that they put in forbearance. Mm-hmm. Many times it's not just 10 or 15 years. They blink and it's like 30 years. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. And so what kind of counsel would you give? Well, I mean, I know each person is different, but in general. Well, the one thing that, you know, when we have the, the assessment, yeah. that's one of the things we do. We send everybody through that, through, through the MAQ. But one of the things you have to real, uh, find out is did God tell them to put it on hold? Because if God told them to put it on hold, then they shouldn't be, um, they shouldn't be groping for a future. They, he should have been literally streaming elements and components of that future throughout their lives, their child-bearing and child-rearing years. I've stood in front of women who say, I know now I'm ready, and it's kind of like, I'm like I don't care, because what I needed you to do was this. I'm doing something else. And I find it very difficult because I've been in positions where I couldn't get a word. Like, God is silent. He's, he's, he's just out on my heart. And it, it, and it stuns me because then I thought, okay, so I'm taking one or two opportunities to lie and try or to say the truth and say, God is not talking. You and God have issues. So I, I don't have a problem telling people, but you and God have issues because they know it. Yeah, they just don't want anybody else to know it. And they think that because you're a prophet, because you're an apostle, you can override God's resignation. God was finished. When you told him your kids meant more, when you told him your husband meant more, God left that. That was your prerogative because, you know, he does that in the Bible. Come follow me. I got to do the house. Do the, do the, do the yoke of boxing. I got the wife. I just married the parents. I got the birth. So he let that be your prerogative because God is like, I want you to want me and to know I'm the best choice. And anything you have going on, I can manage it in reward for you taking care of what I need. Mm-hmm. So, you, and, and most, most women, I, I pray for them, and I have compassion because you bought into that church lie, that, but, but it was your decision to buy into because you could have read the word. Yeah. You, didn't, you didn't choose to seek God as, as just in case so-and-so might have been wrong. Because sometimes so-and-so might have been wrong. I know, go ahead. But it's the truth. You have to. I started ministry, my daughter was five. Your youngest. My youngest was five. And I started ministry with the same difficulty other people had. And one thing God said to me, well, first of all, he started killing me. I'm like, I got, people don't know God to do stuff like that. <laughs> and I said, I, 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 I told, my husband told me he had a problem because every time we all knew, we don't know, we just go on by what we is. And so, you know, we didn't know. And so I go upstairs. And I begin to die, literally. And my spirit knows it because I'm, I'm 
thought, Not a sickness, not a pain, nothing. Life was just being sucked out of me. And so I said to the Lord, I said, well, why am I dying? He said, because there's never any reason for you to disobey your Lord. And he told me, I've got one call for you. Look at your page. This is what I got. Look at your next page. Nothing. There's no reason for you to stay there. So who I was called to be, there was no room for negotiation. For whom I was called to be, there was no, no, no God, you know, indulging this, indulging. I had to do what he said. And he told me, he said, I will take care of your kids. He showed me, I'm telling you, the, the, I was getting ready to quit. I was mad with God, you know, because at that time, when you're young, you think you got all this power for God. <laughs> Baby, we in Israel. We in Jacob. <laughs> you know, he wrestled with that angel. But let me tell you something. I was wrestling with the Almighty, and I, I had no power. And so I remember, I, I was getting ready to get a job. I had a job interview lined up and everything. First of all, I go to interview God lets me be utterly embarrassed. Uh, that's another way to know, because God will humiliate you. Save or stay home. And so I go there, but I come back, and I'm like ready, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm just, and now this time I can feel God literally squeezing and yanking my organs. I'm like, what are you telling? And I'm like, oh, wow. And so, but I hear, I'm praying in the spirit, but he tells my husband, you better pray. Well, so he's praying. Again, I don't know. Nobody talks, because everybody I talk to say, God, let's do what you want to do. I, I just, I went on, I went on his internet and I did permissive will. I was saying. <laughs>
you are called to your family. God wants you to take care of your family because you have brought some children into existence who have a great call, and they can't take your absence. They will not thrive under you, not me. Not say it. So I don't have this. Well, because people accuse us of that. Well, you know, Dr. Frank says, no, no, I've got people, women who talked about, I don't want to be, you're going to be married. And I'm praying for y'all to have a real nice, healthy, warm, fuzzy marriage because your marriage is securing some things for God. So I've, I've given those kinds of counsel. And then I have others who say, God says, you need to choose you to say who you're going to serve. That's why you need personal one-on-one counseling and not some presbytery or not some, some group prophecy that everybody, you know, a, a general doctor. I don't know. No, let me tell you, I know for a fact that if I didn't finish, I wouldn't be on the planet. I know that for a fact because God said, like he said with Paul, God said, he said, I put all of this in you. Where am I going to put it now? Hello. How am I going to get it out of you? It took me 35 years to construct this in you like this. So what am I going to do? So Paul, that's why Paul said, if I preach it willingly, I have a reward. But if I'm grudging, if I have a just, that's what he means. He means that God dispensed this thing in me for me to dispense it to others. So I, he said, I've, I've got to preach it either way because God's going to drag me through the mud. Now, I know y'all got that loving God thing to y'all. Ain't, let me tell you something. That's Cupid. That is not Jesus. Oh. And you need to know if Cupid is drawing back his bow on you. Well, all I know is that 
God, God did not want man to be alone. He said that after Adam had been alone with him for quite a while. Yeah. See, because Adam had been alone with him long enough to name everything God made, the bugs, the all of, you know how many things we got today? He had many, many more back then, because a lot of that stuff is extinct now. Yes. So Adam had been, been alone with God for a long time, and it took Adam naming all of those things to realize that he was different, because God wanted him to recognize why he was the highest creation. Wow. So when people say they're in love, love grows. And the more love grows, the less offenses and selfishness and all of those things enter into the picture. And abuse is out of the question. Abusive people love the company, but don't love the catch. So you are always literally punishing someone for believing in you and loving you, etc. Because when you love something, you don't hurt it. You just don't. And, and, and you understand that love does not mean sex. Right. You know, in God's mind, love is exactly that, that which causes you to want to be a different you for the sake of someone who has thoroughly, thoroughly enthralled you. If you read Song of Solomon, they describe it pretty much like that. Yeah. Well, we got time for one question or comment. Anybody? I knew you were going to be the one to hold it. I didn't even have a question about it. I mean, we got away clean last week. Who's going? My question is, you know, I, when I went home, I was ended up going through some, some sermon notes and things that I had teached years ago that reminded me of where I was at that time in my life when I met you. And what I realized is that culture drew me completely away. So when you think about what's being preached today and how I got here back with you and teaching and hearing the message again, it has reiterated and confirmed that I was going the right way, mm-hmm. but I got pulled into culture. Mm-hmm. How would you tell someone that, because I know a lot of people that have me to, okay. who were in the same place I was at that time, 2005, 2006, mm-hmm. I was teaching and just doing a lot of stuff that y'all teach me to do, not studying the word, mm-hmm. but breaking down words. And I just stopped doing it because it wasn't popular. Mm-hmm. And you just said that earlier that you not, I'm not hearing what you're saying and realizing I was on the right track. Mm-hmm. So how do you, uh, and I'm asking the question because of you know some of the people that I know that are that have gone and allowed culture to pull them yeah. away from, from what they knew was true in the first place. What would you say to them? Well, I actually, I would say... Open the Bible there for me to James chapter 1, because the answer is so real. You know, and, and, and Paul talks about being in, uh, being in love with your affection, you know, and that, you know, and that he's the one that did God, whatever. But James answers it. While she's digging for it, let me say this. When you are in the right path with God and you're doing it the way God wants, Easy street will always show up because God himself allows you to be tested to see if you'll go the distance or when you have an opportunity to leave him, you will do it. And he says, you know, you will, you will do it because simply speaking, you are not even for the Lord. 
I want to read this. This is very important because we haven't read it. Um, here we go. Um, it said, James says in 1.12, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, but for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to him, to them that love him. He says, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth him any man. God tempts you with good. Hmm. Satan tempts you with evil. That's why he said, let us not be what? Let us not deliver us not to temptation. But look at this. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. You wanted something else. Peter wanted something else. Peter wanted John, the God, uh, excuse me, Jesus, to save the Jews. This. Yes. He did not want the plan of God. He wanted the, the fear. And he wanted the fame and prestige. Okay? And this is what he said. Drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. When it is finished, bring forth death. And the next verse is so cute. He says very simply, do not err, my beloved children. So the enemy will draw you by error into error because you are not committed. Because even though you were doing all of those things, you were doing them for the time that you could be out there, not for the time of the Father. The Bible says Jesus stayed under until the time of the Father. Did that help you? So, um, and so, you know, because Paul says that unless we break our bondage with our own affection, we will always be temptable. Mm-hmm. You know, because you got to, he said, that's why he said, love is down me more than me. Love me more than everything that you got going on, and I will see to it that you're guarded and protected for your present and your future. All right, we're going to pass the plate on that word right there. You can use text and give, which the number is going to be uh, 918-203-6625, 918-203-6625 if you're using text and give today, or paypal.me slash Dr. Paula Price. paypal.me slash Dr. Paula Price. You can give via Cash App today as well, and her tag there is Dr. Paula Price, no spaces for the Cash App. This word is beyond good, so let's take this moment to give back in this time and sow those seeds. Rachel's put on Facebook all the different ways that you can sow. Amen. Well, we are one minute over. Thank God. Thank you for joining me today. Share, share, and share, share, share. And if you are a Christian counselor, or a Christian advisor, you want to listen to this. If you are one who trains us, include this in some of your lesson plans. We will see you Sunday at the Congregation of the Mighty, 8 a.m. Sunday School, 10 a.m. Sunday Service, and 3 p.m. Soul Sunday. Bring friends. You have people you want friends, people you want to understand how to stay free. You've been addicted, and you're trying to get out of addiction, etc. Soul Sundays is a good place to begin. Join us. Until then, have a great weekend. Love you much. Thank you for your feet. Go be blessed. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. 
Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.